You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. Today we continue our Epiphany series. We've been in the series, and throughout this series, we have uh, we have seen others affirm Jesus' lordship and deity. Right from the three wise men to John the Baptist and Nathaniel. And this morning's text is, is no different. We have demons also affirm the lordship and the deity of Jesus. And so the common theme we've seen throughout our series, like I said, is the lordship. And so we've seen Jesus lord over all people, both Jew and Gentile. We see this example you know, displayed through the example of the three wise men. We see Jesus as lord over the prophets. And we see that example through John the Baptist. And we also see this morning Jesus lord over kingdom of darkness. And to give you some context of the setting of this passage, Capernaum was a city that was an important fishing town. And it was on the northwest shore of the Lake of Galilee. So this was the town Jesus seemed to make his, his, his headquarters when he was doing his ministry in Galilee. And the fact that Jesus was invited to teach, uh, it, it showed that he had already established a reputation of being a teacher. No synagogue would just invite any random guy they didn't know to come in and teach. And so Jesus had already established himself as a teacher, even, even with the scribes that opposed him. Right? Even though they did not see him as a conventional kind of teacher since he had no formal training. And this is something that the people of Israel would not have expected from their Jewish Messiah. They, they expected him to come in great earthly power. And so this will help us understand why Jesus' bold and authoritative teaching left so many people astonished and amazed, especially when he would affirm himself to be the arrival of the kingdom of God. So I've broken this down into three main points. Number one is the foretaste of the kingdom. Number two is faith in the king. Number three is furthering the kingdom. So for those who are taking notes over here, foretaste of the kingdom. Faith in the king and furthering the kingdom. The people of, of Israel had endured a period of 400 silent years from the closing of the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, to the first statement we find in the gospel. So they, they, they were longing for this promised Messiah while living under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. They longed for a Messiah that would liberate them from this Roman rule. So the general kind of idea that people were believing back then was, like I said, a Messiah who would be one who would rise to great political power. And in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, I'll read them for you. Uh, the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of their day, asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. And I want to read this in something out to you here. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus' kingdom was unexpected because he came to establish a spiritual and wage war against the kingdom of darkness, not to set up a visible earthly 
Roman Empire. This was a huge misunderstanding that the Jewish people during that time had, having been under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And we can kind of understand, you know, their desire to be liberated from this oppressive rule. And because they wanted to be rescued from, from this the circumstance that they were in. But in Luke 17, Jesus responds to the Pharisees by telling them that the kingdom of God will not come in an earthly way to be plainly observed by all people. Right? But he tells them that the kingdom of God actually is already in their midst, which he said to point to himself. See, Jesus, his arrival is was the arrival of the kingdom of God, bringing liberty to the captive enslaved to sin, giving sight to the spiritually blind, and raising those from the dead who were in their spiritual grave. And every time Jesus performed a miracle during his ministry here on earth, it was to point to this deeper reality. And the example we have here in this portion of scripture, Mark 1, 21-28, is no different. Jesus' miracles, miracles are a sign of the advent of the kingdom of God. So, we see this as Jesus performing these signs, showing the breaking down of the reign of Satan as the kingdom of God is being established. They were meant to show visibly what is taking place spiritually through Jesus' sacrificial life, eventual death, and resurrection. So, we see Jesus was bringing us this foretaste of the kingdom. And before he arrived at Capernaum, he was actually in Nazareth. Go to Luke and see that uh, he had previously proclaimed in a synagogue in Nazareth that he was the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah 61. So we find this in Luke 4, 16 through 20. I'll read it for you as well for the sake of time. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The, the prophecy the Jewish people had held on to for so many years was, was finally being revealed and fulfilled for them. And Jesus was this anointed one. He was the one proclaiming the good news to the poor and liberty to the captive. He was the one Isaiah spoke about that would be giving sight to the spiritually blind and bring liberty to those under the oppression of the enemy. And as Jesus continued his ministry, this, this, this truth would ring throughout all of his works, all of his miracles that he was doing, pushing back darkness, establishing the kingdom, and showing visibly what was taking place spiritually. And speaking of the hearers in the synagogue in Nazareth, uh, although they spoke well of him, we saw if we can if we were to continue, there was were not. But if you if you read further there, it says they were astonished. They were they were mar marveled at the gracious words of Jesus after he finished reading. 
rejecting him and even driving him out of the town. He actually wanted to throw him off the cliff. It says, but he got away. Of course, Jesus. Right? But we, we can we can be quick to pass judgment on on the people of Nazareth, right? Say, man, you, you knew this guy, right? You saw him grow up. Why would you reject him? Well, of course, they would reject him because they were expecting a Messiah that would come with great earthly power. And so to see this this young kid growing up, son of a carpenter, right? Come back into town as a grown man and, and speaking that this prophecy is being fulfilled in their, in their sight. You know, they, they, they rejected him. Even though they were astonished by his words and amazed at his authority. And so this, this teaches us something here. They, they lacked true faith, although they were amazed by Instead of viewing these people that uh, as, as them being nothing like us, we, we do need to realize and see that very well could have been and probably would have been us had we been in that situation as well. We, we're no better than those who rejected Jesus in Nazareth because of their familiarity with him. Because with our actions, so many times we do the same, right? It's no different from the people that were amazed at Jesus exorcism in Capernaum in the synagogue there. They also lacked true faith, even though they were also amazed by Jesus' words. Their amazement came from just that, from just his works and not from Jesus himself. And we also see that even having correct theology of who Jesus is does not equate to true faith as well. We see this obviously revealed when the demon cries out, what have you to do with this Jesus who calls him the Holy One of God? Demons have perfect theology. They know very well who Jesus is. Yet we know, obviously, that they're eternally damned. And all these examples of people they lack true faith in Jesus. And this brings us to our second point, faith in the King. Now, since this text is, a, is an account of a historical event, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily give us a straightforward application or call Right, like maybe an epistle from Paul. But if we dig deeper and we see these examples of people's reactions to Jesus, we can derive a call for our life today. And I believe this call is true, abiding, life-transforming faith in Jesus. True, abiding faith goes beyond this correct theology. It goes beyond mere cognitive knowledge right, of Jesus, like the demons possessed, and beyond a mere awestruck, admiration at his works like the ears inside the synagogue. An empty knowledge is useless apart from a relationship with Christ. The demon's perfect theology obviously doesn't help him. Right? He still opposed and, and, and hates God and you know the demons are striving to do away with the kingdom of God but we know that it's been sealed it's been signed. God has established and will establish his kingdom. But nonetheless, they, they know who Jesus is. And the response of the hearers in the synagogue was also lacking this true faith, being only emotionally moved and intellectually stimulated. But they went no further. And I, I want to get personal here with you guys here. Maybe some of you here are not Christians. Right? Maybe you've been coming around. Maybe this is your first time. But you don't.
be a follower of Christ. And I would encourage you, and I can say this uh, without a doubt, that I know that the family here at Sylvia Montrose wants to, to answer your questions, walk with you, even, even, even talk through your objections to Christianity. Right? But, but I don't want to address you right now. I want to address those here who profess to be Christian, those who, who profess faith in the Jesus. Right? There may be some of you here who are deceived into thinking that you're a true follower of Christ, when in fact, you may only be intrigued and amazed by Jesus because of what he can do for you, because of his grace. That leaves you amazed and astonished. Yet, you haven't actually had true abiding faith in Jesus for who he is. Maybe someone who mentally can agree with theological truths about Jesus and the gospel, yet the Spirit of God has yet to transform your heart. And sadly, I, I have good friends that probably know more Bible than I do. And I've seen them walk away and are walking godless right now. And, and they they can sit here and break down deep the, the deep things of God, yet they, they're, they're not Christians. And so it is a, a sobering thing to think that sin is so deceitful that it can deceive us into thinking that we are true believers when in reality we may just be coming around. Maybe because we like the social aspect of belonging to a local church. We, we like the, the friendships we've established. We, we, we benefit in, in a way from the blessings of a local church. Yet we don't have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, I, if there's anyone here like that, I, I pray that the Spirit would open eyes, open hearts, that you may see Jesus for who he really is, the King of power. See, Jesus' ethos or who he was as a person completely authenticated everything he said. Unfortunately, this is not, not I can't say that this has always been those who profess to follow him. Now, there is a case, there is a sense in which we can say, well, we still have a dwelling sin, so we can never fully authenticate with our actions what we're preaching. We're sinners. We fail, we struggle, and this is true. But this is not the kind I'm speaking of today. I'm speaking of a, 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 a deception, a, a kind of deception that has many professing Christians in bondage. See, the, the danger of, of handling God's truth time and time again and becoming so familiar with it cognitively is that our souls can become seared to conviction, to this call that Scripture has upon us for holiness, for repentance, for faith. It just bounces off of the soul like it did for the scribes, like it did for the Pharisees, and like it did for Peter in the synagogue. God that where we fail, Jesus perfectly fails. See, Jesus, his passion fired his message. Fired his message. So intense was his passion that he, he wept over the unrepentant city of Jerusalem. 
He was passionate and zealous in his preaching because he truly cared. He was the most passionate man in history because he believed more than anyone else the message he was preaching. No one else has been able to do that. He, he sees the entire, he sees the heart of man, right? He sees to the darkest corners and crevices of our hearts things that we have not even seen in ourselves. He knows it fully. He knows to what extent this radical depravity on man has caused. He knows all of this. Yet this passion on display in Jesus' life and death, when a few outcast fishermen saw this, caused them to forsake everything they had and follow him. caused these fishermen to be transformed into apostolic figures that would turn this world upside down. And that was because of the passion, not that they had, but the passion that Jesus had. There's a stark contrast between this true faith and false faith. And this is, this is the king with power. This is a king worthy to be worshipped, a king worthy of our repentance. So I would, I would encourage us, as, as Paul did to the Corinthians, to, to examine ourselves that we would not be found in the crowd of those hearers or in the midst of the scribes and Pharisees who, who profess to know God with their lips, but their hearts are far from it. Now seeing that this specific miracle is an exorcism of a demon, we, we see the reality of the spiritual realm here as well, right? I want, I want to remind us all of something that, that unfortunately seems to get ignored by a lot of Christians, a lot of, especially kind of in our, in our circles. When people get creeped out and start talking about demons, right? They think that you're, you know, you're kind of going to an extreme, but we cannot ignore, we cannot ignore the realities of the spiritual realm. We cannot ignore the presence of the demonic. that we need to be very aware of the spiritual world we're in against the kingdom of darkness as followers of Jesus. Uh, with this, I want to read scripture to you. It's in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now this text in Ephesians 6 reminds us of the spiritual reality we face as followers of Jesus. We, we can be encouraged knowing that Jesus has gone before us, not only as our example, but our representative. Jesus humbled himself into our world, defeated sin, Satan, and death once and for all. All through this sacrificial life, death, and resurrection that he lived, he experienced on our behalf for all of those who would repent and believe in this, in this Jesus, in this gospel. He came to do all the heavy lifting for his church. And upon his ascension back into heaven, he promised his church that the baptism 
this power that would fill us to be his witnesses in this world and continue his kingdom work and preach his gospel and continue to push back the darkness. And because Jesus has gone before us victoriously, we know that no weapon formed against us, his people, will ultimately destroy us. Nothing can flood us out of the hands of God. But not only that, we know that Jesus has assured his church the victory. He said in Matthew 16, right, he tells Peter that, that the gate of hell will not prevail against his church. And so we see that imagery. We, we see that actually the church is on the offense, attacking the gates. And Jesus, Jesus assures us that the gate will not prevail against his church. Many times we, we think of it as us setting up shops and setting up gates kind of around kind of our little Christian bubble and saying the gates of hell will not prevail, brother. Right? But, hey, who, who's setting up gates? You know, a lot of times it's us doing it. Jesus was intending to, to give us an imagery of the church going to the darkest corners of the world, to the darkest corners of our city, and attacking the gates of hell, knowing, knowing that they will not prevail against his church. And we storm the gates of hell with the message of the gospel. We, we have to remember we are stepping on the enemy. And we can expect all kinds of opposition from the church. But we know we will not succeed. And as you seek to preach the gospel here in Montrose, right? A gospel that goes against the ideologies and, and the belief, the general beliefs of Montrose, we, we have to remember that and we'll be attacked. We will be met with opposition. seek to make more disciples, as we seek to multiply parishes, as it's so intellectual, right? as we continue to plant churches and infect this city with the gospel, we know that Christ has given us this victory. We know that, that Christ has promised to build this church, yet we still need to be prepared for the darts of the enemy when they'll be thrown our way. So Satan can't ultimately destroy us souls, the way, he, the way he works, he attacks Jesus' church with full force to wound the church, to wound his servants, so as to make them ineffective. Our enemy, Satan, can do that, and it's a win. If he can create divisions, if he can cause or, or influence his servants, fall into previous sin and, and feel like they're ineffective for the rest of their life in the kingdom, um, then, then Satan, that's the thing. But we know he's going to get no more. But what he will do is try to attack and attack and make us ineffective for the kingdom. We need to realize and recognize the reality that we're facing powers and principalities of the kingdom of darkness that walk as sober-minded soldiers as, as watchmen over ourselves, over one another, and over the neighborhood that we love. This is, this is something, this is something serious, guys. This is not a walk in the park. 
society says and beliefs about demons and you can get all you know, creeped out. We, we do need to remember that. And although we also can't, you know, see, we'll talk about it, right? We can't, we can't go to the extreme where we begin to you know, give credit to Satan and demons for everything bad going on in my life or in the life of the church or in the human or anything. You know, we live in a broken and a fallen world full of sin. Sin has ravaged our go to that extreme, and we can't go to the other extreme as well. I, recently, I, I read an article by a guy I really respect, um, that I've learned a lot from, but I, at the end of the day, I just, I just had to wholeheartedly disagree with, with this article, and we, we, you know, being, you know, gospel-centered and talking about all of this, right, can easily talk everything up and just remembering the gospel, right, and basically that's what the way we fight our spiritual warfare against the kind of the kingdom of darkness is just remembering the gospel or, or preaching the gospel. And this is true. The gospel is sufficient. Um, we cannot, however, ignore. We can't ignore. But it is, it is essential that we, we go about the labor of intercessory prayer for each other, for the church, for our neighborhood. And pushing back the darkness to that effort. Man, his name is Leonard Ravenhill. He, he once said that, that, that a man is no greater than his first. So we need to constantly be reminded that as we go about this, this kingdom that is our Father's business, there is a real enemy who hates us ferociously. And he is like a lion seeking someone to devour. He is a thief whose only desire is to steal. Tirelessly, but we just weaken by that, that it makes us ineffective. Yeah, I mean, we're good to go for a third and final point. Jesus' miracle and display of power over the kingdom of darkness in this text, and like I said, gives us a foretaste of this kingdom that Jesus came to usher in. A kingdom that we can only enter through true repentance and faith, true abiding faith in Jesus. He then gives us this promised Holy Spirit and this power for the purpose of fighting sin and standing firm against our enemy, but ultimately to have the power to be his witnesses as we continue to fulfill this great commission that he's called us to, to make disciples of all nations as we await his return and the full establishment of God's kingdom. So this, what does this mean for us? It means that we will continue labor in the preaching of the gospel, making disciples, multiplying churches, planting more churches with both a sober mind and a boldness that comes only through the Spirit. So as God's church, we're currently living in a state of already but not yet, already part of God's kingdom and actively furthering the kingdom through the preaching of the gospel, yet eagerly waiting the future establishment and the full establishment of God's kingdom. So I want to encourage you this morning, Sojourn Montrose, to, to look to this, this powerful king, this king, as your ultimate source. You, you exist because of the core team. Like when, when they, they, they came together, they, they felt this, God, uh, this call of God 
simply that what has become, but is now simply a monument. But they, they felt this call to push back the darkness, to make disciples, to continue this kingdom work that God has called us to. And he will continue to get the attacks of your enemy to come at you, just like all of God's people. Knowing that he wants to destroy us, but we can be encouraged and strengthened in knowing Jesus has sealed our victory. His church will prevail. And his kingdom will be fully established one day. This is what gives us hope and strengthens us in our faith. When situations may appear grim, when we get to, to walk through these very dark and painful seasons, knowing that as part of living in this broken world, we, we will experience pain, we will experience suffering. But we know that God has gone before us and his son Jesus and has already won the victory for us and it has been him that is qualified to be this, this all sufficient powerful savior and king who is lord over every domain of existence and this is the king who, who, who came and began to show visibly So sent us out to continue this kingdom work. So as we go about God's kingdom work, may we be reminded that though the enemy may continue to attack, we know Christ has given us the victory. And through his spirit, through